Lesson 36 Great news for smartphone users. In addition to the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, the Photography 101 app is now available for phones using the Android operating system. To get your hands on this brand new app, go to scottwittenberg.com and click on the Android link or search Photography 101 in the Android app marketplace. I think you're going to love it. Hello again. In this lesson, we're going to kick off a series on portraiture, with this episode focusing specifically on studio portraiture. In general, portraiture can be broken down into three different types, formal, candid, and environmental. Formal portraiture involves a situation where the subject or subjects are aware of being photographed. Candid portraits, on the other hand, are more spontaneous and typically involve photographing subjects that aren't always aware of being photographed. Environmental portraiture involves photographing a subject in his or her environment, such as their workplace or some other location where they spend much of their time in pursuit of a personal interest or pastime. Through the years, I've shot about every type of studio portrait imaginable, from headshots of actors and actresses to solo musicians and entire bands, to corporate executives, working models, and model wannabes, family portraits, self-portraits, and even pet portraits. In all of these situations, the ultimate goal of portraiture is to express something about the subject in the form of a photograph. In portraiture, it's not enough to simply show how somebody looks or what they look like. That's the purpose of a mugshot. A portrait should say more. Something about what makes the person unique, their personality, their demeanor, what makes them tick. As anyone who's ever tried shooting a portrait knows, this can be more easily said than done. The purpose of this lesson is to show what steps to take in order to shoot a successful formal studio portrait. By the way, the term formal in this case doesn't mean that the subject is to be dressed formally and look stuffy. It simply means that the subject is to be knowingly photographed indoors under controlled conditions. In studio portraiture, the conditions under which the person is being photographed can be controlled more easily than outdoors. Lighting, background, clothing, props, and so on are more easily controlled in a studio setting as opposed to outdoors, where Mother Nature holds most of the cards. The studio area in my classroom is not very large, but it's easily sufficient for portraiture, since there's no need for a great deal of distance between the subject and the camera in most portraiture work. Believe it or not, setting up a makeshift studio in your home is not as difficult or expensive as you may think. In fact, you'll find that most professional photographers, including myself, got started that way. All you need is enough space to set up for a session and some basic equipment. If you're interested in giving this a shot, here's a list of things you'll need for a home studio portrait. An SLR camera with a lens suitable for close-up portraits. A digital SLR works best since you can immediately review your shots. A portrait lens is in the range of 70mm or so. Refer to Lesson 35 for more details. So-called normal lenses in the range of 40 to 50 millimeter will not allow much distance between the camera and your subject and won't give very flattering results. A pair of lights strong enough to yield an exposure of at least f4 at 1 60th of a second, ISO 400. The lights can be something as simple as inexpensive quartz or halogen lights or tungsten photo floods mounted on light stands. An additional light may be needed for background lighting. A translucent white photo umbrella or softbox for diffuse lighting if soft lighting is desired. If you can afford studio flash, that's by far the best way to go. A flash meter will also be necessary to determine exposure. Your camera's pop-up flash will give you disappointing results since it's so harsh and non-directional. 
Detachable flash units are an option if mounted on light stands and fired remotely. See Lesson 25 for info on all types of flash. A plain colored background such as white or gray seamless paper or a bare wall painted in a flat neutral color. White works best. A tripod is optional but not necessary. And a stool or a chair. You've been watching two of my students, Maddie and Hannah, set up for a portrait shoot in the classroom studio. Now that they've got everything squared away, Hannah's giving her model direction on what she's looking for. Maddie's not only following Hannah's direction, but feels comfortable enough to pose on her own. Notice that the mood is light and the two girls are having no problem working together. The fact that they're friends definitely helps, but they've also worked out what they want to accomplish prior to the shoot. Two of the biggest hurdles in portraiture is establishing what outcome the photographer and subject expects and for the photographer to make his or her subject feel enough at ease to accomplish that outcome. If you're shooting someone you already know, this is easy enough, but photographing a virtual stranger is something else altogether. This is the studio area of my classroom and some of the lighting equipment. This type of lighting is referred to as continuous or constant source lighting and the two heads on the right are powered by 250 watt tungsten bulbs. They're quite bright, but the downside is that they get really hot very fast, and it's easy to burn your fingers while adjusting them. The one on the left runs much cooler, since it's powered by four high wattage fluorescent bulbs. The white material fitted over the reflector is designed to diffuse or soften the light, and is detachable. These two lights are called Studio Flash Mono Lights, they're each powered by 300 watt second flash tubes and run cool since the flash only fires for fractions of a second at a time. There's a relatively low watt modeling light in each unit that allows you to see the quality and effect of the lighting while setting up a shot. These are lighting accessories. The large circular object on the left is a reflector designed to use for fill light. The white translucent umbrella on the right may be used to either diffuse or reflect the light depending on its orientation with regard to the light head. The object in the middle is called a softbox, which fits over the flash head and softens light. There are three choices of backgrounds in our studio. Black or white seamless paper and gray muslin. The importance of lighting cannot be overemphasized. What follows is a guide to the different qualities of light available, plus tips on setting up different lighting scenarios. I'd like to introduce you to Sally, who will be my model for these demonstrations. Sally's been a great addition to my classes because she's always there when you need her, never complains, and works for free. As you can see here, I have a white seamless background set up that's a good choice since it contrasts with Sally's dark hoodie. To show you how subtle changes in lighting can affect even the background of a shot, I'll bring the light closer to make it more white, then kill the light, and finally replace the background altogether with black seamless. Note that now there isn't much contrast between Sally's hoodie and the black background, which isn't a good idea. But look what happens if I turn the light back on. Voila! A nice gray background with a halo effect that provides separation between the hoodie and the darker background. In this demonstration, note how critical light placement is with regard to how your subject looks. I'll begin on the right side with this direct lighting source approximately straight on with my model's face. This strong side lighting with little fill on the opposite side is what's known as Rembrandt lighting after the Dutch master. The mood it creates is much different than that seen as the light illuminates more of the face. Note also the model's features and how they change as the light source changes. Now I'll position the light below the model's face 
which produces a Halloween ghoul effect, much like you get with the result of placing a flashlight under your chin and pointing it upward. The first rule of lighting is never to do this, unless you want your subject to look scary and creepy. Finally, I'll position the light high with regard to the model's face, which is perhaps the most flattering and natural lighting position of all. This position tends to elongate the model's features, slimming down her cheeks, chin, and nose. With the light set high and off-center to the right, let's see what it looks like if we fill in the shadows on the left side using a reflector. The idea here is to catch the light from the main light at an angle and reflect it into the model's face to fill in the shadow. It's easier to have an assistant do this, although you can also attach the reflector to a stand if an assistant isn't available. This reflector is double-sided, with a shiny silver side and a plain white side. The white side reflects a softer light, resulting in a softer, more subtle fill than the silver side. So far we've been using direct lighting with a single light source. Of the three qualities of light available, direct lighting is the harshest, produces the strongest shadows, and is in general the least flattering. Here I'm going to add a second direct light source and increase its power setting so it becomes the main light while the other side becomes the fill. Whenever you use two lights at opposing angles on either side of the subject like this, it's very important that one side be brighter than the other. In other words, there should be a main light and a fill light. This can be accomplished by either placing the main light side closer to the subject or by increasing its power setting until it looks natural. Having exact identical lighting for both sides of the model will be flat and lack contouring in your subject. As I mentioned before back in Lesson 25, there are three qualities of light to choose from in a studio situation. Direct, diffuse, and reflected. Let's see what effect placing an umbrella over the direct light source has on the lighting quality. As you can see here, it softens the light and creates softer shadows. Diffused lighting is the softest of all and resembles the kind of light you get on a cloudy day or in deep shade. Here's a lighting scenario using three lights, a single direct background light plus two diffused lighting sources providing the main and fill. The background light is set up behind the subject. And here's another three light scenario option, but this time using reflected lighting in place of the diffused. With reflected lighting, instead of the light passing through the umbrella, the light bounces off of it and onto the subject. Reflected lighting is the go-between quality of light, softer than direct, but a bit snappier than diffused. My personal favorite lighting scenario for most portrait situations is using a single softbox as the main light. A softbox eliminates having to mess around with an umbrella for diffused lighting and is less awkward to work with. It attaches directly to the head and provides a beautifully soft flattering light with soft subtle shadows. Using a softbox mounted high and directly in front of your subject is called glamour lighting, but this scenario can become a bit cumbersome since it means having a light stand planted right in your face directly between you and your model. That is unless you have access to a boom stand, as seen here. Using a boom eliminates having a light stand right in your face by allowing it to be set up off to the side and still be able to position a softbox above and directly in front of your model. Once you attach the light to the boom, make a few adjustments and position the counterweight, you're in business. While we observe these clips of another session featuring my students, this time it's Maddie and Aaron, here are some tips and suggestions for making your own portrait session a success. 
Please keep in mind that these tips are not geared towards shooting portraits of toddlers or young children. That takes a totally different mindset altogether. Number one, plan the session out beforehand. Discuss with your subject what clothes to wear, keeping in mind that light backgrounds are best for dark clothing and darker backgrounds for light clothing. Avoid busy patterns of multicolored shirts, as they're usually not good choices for portraiture. If you're planning on a black and white portrait, choose clothes and backgrounds accordingly. You always want your subject to contrast against the background in either case. Number two, if you don't already know your subject, always try to get to know them a little before the shoot if at all possible. Photographing a total stranger is difficult enough, so spending some time getting to know them will make them more at ease and allow things to run smoother. Number three, one of the biggest culprits to a good portrait is shine on a subject's skin. Make sure to have some anti-shine powder on hand in case you need it. Number four, have everything set up before your subject arrives for the shoot. The overhead room light should be turned off so you can see the effect of the studio lights on the subject. All studio lighting should be turned on and in its approximate position. The stool should be in position and the background already set up. Your studio should be as portrait ready as possible when your subject sits down so you don't waste valuable time. Fine tune everything before you begin shooting. Once your subject's in place, adjust the lighting in such a way that the subject looks his or her best. A single light placed just off center up high is a good place to start. Keep a sharp eye out for undesirable shadows both on the subject and the background. Careful light placement is key to great portraits and worth spending the time on. If something doesn't look right, correct it. Don't think that it's going to magically go away once you start shooting. Once lighting is in place, take your exposure reading, adjust your camera settings, and start rolling. Number five, control depth of field with your aperture settings. Remember that close-up shots involve shallow depth of field, which can throw part of your subject out of focus. Use higher f-stop numbers, such as f8 and higher. Always focus on the eyes. Nothing could be worse than out-of-focus eyes, the windows to the soul. Number six, once you feel like everything looks good, take a test shot. If you're using a digital camera, review the test and determine what needs to be tweaked. Look out for anything that looks bad or out of place, especially hair, shiny skin, lint on clothes, food and teeth, and so on. Try to forget that Photoshop even exists. Get it right in the camera instead of planning on fixing things later in Photoshop. Number seven, once things get rolling, take control of the session. Your subject will expect you to tell them what to do, how to sit, where to look, what to emote. This is one of the biggest problems my students have at first, especially ones who are not outgoing by nature. Don't expect your subject to perform for you. They will generally be clueless if you don't give them some kind of direction. If your subject seems uncomfortable or nervous at first, talk to them and put them at ease. Don't shoot if they don't seem ready yet. Give them a chance to warm up. Number eight, don't review each and every shot you take. Once you have things set where you like them, shoot several frames until you feel satisfied you have something that works. Then try something different. Different lighting, different expressions, different poses, different clothes, and so on. Number nine, avoid dead space. Get as close as possible for headshots and shoot vertically. Horizontal shots almost always result in too much dead space and the need to be cropped later. Get in the habit of composing your shots in the viewfinder, giving extra space only when it's necessary. Number 10. Get in the habit of shooting your subject straight on as opposed to shooting with your camera tilted either forward or backward. This usually means kneeling down while you're shooting if your subject is sitting. The best way to check if you're shooting correctly is to take a look at how you're holding your camera 
and see if it's at a perpendicular to the floor. If it isn't, correct the angle and compose your shot accordingly. Your subject will look better and image distortion will be kept under control. Number 11. Always keep distance between yourself and your subject and zoom in instead of standing too close and zooming out. This will increase compression and be more flattering. Well, that about wraps it up for now. I hope you've learned something new about studio portraiture, studio lighting, and shooting portraits in general. Sometime in the future, I'll cover some of the other ways to pursue portraiture. Until then, have a happy holiday. Goodbye.